All topics covered here are for conversational purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Please contact Mulcane Co. to receive advice on all matters from one of our professionals. Welcome everybody to episode 21 of the FS360 podcast, recording on the 16th of December. I've got a couple of special guests in the uh, in the studio with Chris Mulcahy and Thane Turley. G'day boys. Thanks for having me. G'day Gav, how are you? G'day Turles. Chris is no longer special, is he? Does it yeah. every week. Well, he's our co-host, yes. I've sort of missed a few though, haven't I? Missed a couple, yeah. Been, been I'm the only action. true podcaster in yeah, the place. Yeah, if a few, Gav, it would have been all over. The whole thing would be falling to pieces. Yeah. So yeah, thanks exactly. to you, Gav. And uh, the good news about our podcast these days, in case our listeners don't know, is they're uh, articulated into articles on our website. So this podcast will be in a written form on the website later this week. So does that mean, Gav, people can actually go and read all this? They can have a read. Not word for word, but we interpret it, get the key points out. Nice, easy to understand chunks on the website. So uh, good for Google level, that stuff. Yeah, so that'd be good for searching and Google type situations. To get straight to the point. Yeah, Yep, so if you don't want to listen to Thane talk for the next 30 minutes, you can go and read about him later in yeah, the week. Yeah, like if listening to him does, doesn't put you to sleep, reading about it will. <laughs> now, I'm going to update our, our listeners and clients on a couple of things. We've got our closing date coming up, 23rd of December. That's for all offices Australia-wide. And we're reopening on the 11th of January, which is a little bit later. Normally, we only shut for a sort of up until, say, the 4th or whatever. But this year, we're having that extra week just with COVID happening and not many people having annual leave throughout the year. We thought... We'll shut down for a bit longer. Yeah, no, look, I think, um, yeah, everyone's had a pretty big year, haven't they? And they're mm. all looking a bit tired and needing a bit of a break. So it's an opportunity just to take that extra week and yeah, give everyone a chance to have a decent break. I think it's a circuit breaker for some people too because, you know, if you're like a lot of us, you haven't had any time off for the whole of the year since last January. So, um, And also we've got an emergency email address. So if there's anything of an emergency nature, you can email info at molk.com.au. We'll have some staff keeping an eye on that email over that time. So if you're unsure and something pops up that's an emergency only, you can email us on that over that time. So um, now just before we get into it, we've got Thane in the studio today to talk to us about the current state of play with the market, share market in Australia, so money market, so that'll be interesting. Um, But I've got a couple of quick little stats, worldwide podcast stats. I like my stats. Worldwide. Um, Worldwide that 55%... Of the, of the population in Western world, so that's, you know, Western countries, 55% have listened to a podcast. Really? Pretty good. Pretty big, I reckon. And most of those, the highest percentage is in that 35 to 54 age bracket. So that's an interesting couple of stats, I reckon, you know. I you know, know from a personal perspective, I've listened to probably more podcasts over the last, yeah, 12 months. Yep. Than, uh, I'm the same, previously. I reckon. Last yeah. two years, I, I think two years ago, I probably hadn't listened to one. So, yeah. Yeah, so in the last two years and it's just growing, you know. Uh, no, it's a very uh, easy way to consume info, isn't it, really? Mm. I was talking to a client on the phone today who struggles to give us content for his own website and I said, why don't you record what you want to say on your phone and just send me the audio message? So he's going to start doing that from now on because then we can convert that into words for the website. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting way of getting information across for sure. Very uh, great. Nice one. Well, we're gonna. I'm gonna pass over to uh, Thane. We just want to get a up, bit of an update on where you think the current money market is in Australia, mate. With everything happening since we've last had you on the podcast. Just, just checking in though before we start with Thane. Does he only yep. come on when the market's going well? Well, he times his run. I'd have to he have does. a look at uh, when I was on last. What month was that? 
Market was probably tracking sideways, not yeah. too much happening. I reckon People was, wondering where it was going. I reckon it was October. Yeah, the last one. Yeah. So, yeah, so, but yeah, November was a well and truly good month. So, That's most good. markets, uh, equity markets, property markets across the board or across the world were broadly speaking up by about 10 to 15%. Um, so, yeah, so very good month. So most people's superannuation investment accounts are looking healthy. Um, so, yeah, so – and I suppose where to from here? So expectation is still to have lower interest rates for a longer period of time. There are, uh, I suppose, some question marks around inflation and in- interest rates rising in the future, which we need to be mindful of. So you can already see bond yields increasing in the US, um, so which does insinuate that that will happen. Um so, yeah, so, but uh, I suppose overall in terms of a nutshell, you've had um, governments come to the fore, provide a lot of money, which we probably spoke about in the last uh, podcast that I was involved in. So I think the statistics probably about the money available is probably about 20% greater than what it previously was. So, and if you look at household savings rates, they're well and truly up to once again what they previously were. Um, and there's been some su- supply shocks in the system too, like manufacturing plants, et cetera, have been shut down or had to slow down. So um, it does bode well for economic growth going forward. You know, it's certainly an interesting time. And like the share market during November, that was almost a record month, was it? Yeah, it was the best performing month since 1987, 1988. Yep. Yeah, and so. Like, was that across the board, like each, like all of the industries? Uh, I know that that was well? for the ASX in particular. Um, I'm not too sure about the US market or that, yeah, yep. in terms of how that ranked in terms of, but for the Aussie market, the ASX 200 and the All Ordinaries Index, yeah, it was the best performing month since 1987, 1988. So were there any particular sectors that really kicked on? It was what they referred to as more the value sector, so which is probably a lot of your banks. Um, um, so I suppose when people talk about value sector, it's more about looking at sustainable businesses that don't rely on economic growth to be expanding or economies to be expanding to be benefiting. Um, so I suppose traditionally, yeah, the banks and Woolworths and the like sort of fit into that picture where they pay good dividends, they're a sustainable business. Um, yep, yep. Yeah, so. Yep, so and I assume with the vaccination very close now, obviously they're giving it out in the UK at the moment and US isn't far behind as well, I don't think. So, yeah, that would play into the share market, having a lot of confidence moving forward and probably tapping back into, say, your airline stocks and... Yeah, yep. Those types? Yeah, so, um, well, that's what November was predominantly all about. I think some people feel that it was to do with the US election and that it was sort of finally dealt with and done or it obviously continued to linger and probably still lingers a little bit between Biden and Trump. Um, But largely it was to do with the vaccinations and the success of those. So I think most uh, of the pharmaceutical companies were expecting a 50% efficacy rate in terms of success when issuing those and they didn't really sort of have some timelines on when they might be ready. You know, they were talking, you know, uh, you know, one, two years, probably more than two years and some of this stuff traditionally takes five years to get done. So, um, but when some of the results were coming out to say that the efficacy rates were above 90%, well, then that's when the world looks at it and this is how share markets operate in that they're always a very forward-looking instrument to say, well, 
what are we going to be dealing with in the next six months, 12 months, 18 months down the track? They don't, you know, really work on here and now. Um, so when they have seen those results come through, and I think some of the trials that are finished at the end of December, then that's when um, economies or investors can look at it to say, well, maybe we're not dealing with coronavirus for as long as what we initially expected. Um, so which then means that hopefully we're getting back to sort of some sort of um, normal and then, yeah, I suppose to your point, like, yeah, you did see the airline stocks and the likes of uh, Flight Centre, et cetera, well and truly increased, like jumped by 40, 50, um, 60%. So, yeah. Um, do you have any, like there were a couple of stocks or probably quite a few that benefited greatly from, I guess, the shutdowns and so forth, like those zip pay stocks and all those? Well, it's all really the online stuff, which is why you've seen um, – Amazon. That, yeah, yeah, so – which is, yeah, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Zero, Tesla, all of those are the ones that have um, grown considerably over the COVID period and which is what's um, helped the NASDAQ and the like, you know, outperform and those share markets are higher than where they were in March earlier this year. Um, so they're the ones that have done all the heavy lifting because they're the ones that make up the – uh, highest percentage of the indexes so and that's where when I talk about the value stocks that they performed well in November because they were on the nose and the people were saying well like well how are they going to grow particularly if we're dealing with coronavirus and economies being shut down and borders being locked um, but once the good news comes through as such that maybe we're not dealing with that then that's why you're saying well okay maybe we can get to back to some sort of normal and you see that um, you know, bank share prices rise and Woolworths and the like. Um, Tells, I just want to dig deeper a bit on one of your points earlier about household saving rates. So you were talking in one of the earlier episodes that, um, you know, families were like at that family level were putting away more savings because they weren't kind of spending it going overseas and doing whatever they're doing. So, and you were saying that, has that increased again? I think it was sort of... Yeah, like and a heap of it did increase too because of the government stimulus that's been provided. And the fact that people haven't been able to travel and go anywhere and spend money, so they're being stuck at home. Um, so those savings rates are well and truly up. Um, so we talk about going into Christmas and giving people a break. Um, if I can use a personal point for you, for you, Gav, I'd know I find it interesting that I remember talking to you a while ago, you were saying to me that you've often headed to Bali on overseas holidays, et cetera, but you've never been to WA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's parts so then, of my own country that I haven't been to. Yeah. yeah. So then, you know, I think Australia will benefit from um, local tourism or more domestic travel. So, um, yeah, hopefully those people get out and spend that, which is naturally what you see. Like once people become more confident about from week to week and month to month that their job is more safe and secure and that they're going to have money, then they'll spend it. And maybe that's part of the reason that the markets are recovering as well because the confidence is there because people can see that there may be an end in, an end in sight and also there's plenty of savings there so there's sort of, yeah, might be and people reinvesting. Yeah, and I think the government want to provide that confidence too, don't they? Because oh, yeah. at the end of the day, they need individuals spending money. Mm. Yeah, Otherwise yeah. they can it. throw as much money as they like out into the economy but if it's not getting spent, yep. it's just getting saved, it doesn't help at all does it no it doesn't at all so you know talking to clients you know some people have questions about um, not only Australia's debt levels but the rest of the world and um, I know we've had those conversations before about governments borrowing and is it sustainable etc Australia is 
government debt levels were pretty good. Um, you know, they were heading back towards surplus and um, they did help out with JobKeeper, JobSeeker, which is what they should do because uh, if they don't, then they talk about the velocity of money stops. If people don't have confidence to spend, then that's when – and I used the example the other day. Um, you know, one of our team members, um, she's purchased a block of land – so, you know, I'd like to think that she's got confidence in her job and position and, um, you know, her growth opportunities going forward. But if she didn't have that, she doesn't buy the block of land, so then the conveyancing doesn't get done. Um, real estate so agent. the real estate agent doesn't make the sale. The builder doesn't get a job. They don't employ people. You know, they're, they're um, you know, Bunnings, et cetera, supplying the goods. So it is all a snowball effect. Yeah. Um, and that's where, yeah, that's when governments should well and truly help out. And I think from history they have seen that and known that, so that's where they want to or make sure because I don't know, partly the way I look at it too is that what prime minister or politician wants to have a recession or depression on their hands. Yeah, that's right. And I think we're learning a bit more about this government debt and what it actually means because I guess most countries are in the same position, aren't they? They've all had to go out there and spend money or provide money to the economy. So, yeah, I guess everyone's in the same boat, but just that understanding that, you know, Australia, for example, is really borrowing from itself. It's issuing bonds from the Reserve Bank and the government, which are basically the same thing, I suppose, at the end of the day. So, yeah, just probably other countries like Japan have probably led the way in doing that for a number of years and have got a lot of debt or seemingly a lot of debt, but... Does it really matter? Um, what impact can it have moving forward? So I suppose they're all the things out in the future that we, we're not sure of yet, but I suppose <laughs> I've got to solve the problem right now and I think they're going to spend as much money as they need to plus more mm. to make sure that we don't get into that situation where the economy is in recession. Yeah, die straight, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. but I think – so what are you sort of thinking for the year ahead, Turles? Like obviously we've – Gone through what we've gone through. Um, seemingly we're out of the woods now in terms of the coronavirus if the vaccinations do work. Um, Australia's probably done pretty well compared to other parts of the world, but we've gone through a fair bit of pain and done a lot of damage along the way. But, yeah, the, the next 12 months is sort of going to be an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, it will be. And I think the main point that I probably think about is that we're a very global world now, like global globalisation, like we rely on and it's obviously very topical too in terms of trade wars with China and um, so you talk about comparative advantage in the world, which is obviously some countries can provide goods at a cheaper rate than others, So, which is probably why you see Australia not do too much in terms of manufacturing and the like and China obviously making that change. Um so it's more about that globalisation in terms of in the, uh, how that happens and how does it continue to happen if you've got borders locked and obviously a lot of the European countries and America particularly are in a worse position from a COVID point of view than us. So you start to see some borders being opened up between New Zealand and Queensland um, and the like and that's where they, it's the theory is or the thought is that it'll be a staged approach in that um, so for the likes of um, Singapore and that that have achieved a similar result to us in terms of the COVID vaccine, we can start to open up our borders to those um, in terms of a more gradual. So, yeah, um, 
it's probably that in terms of how quickly that can happen for the rest of the world and particularly given that COVID, like I think, I don't know, from statistics a while ago, but the US economy is the largest consumer of goods in the world. So, um, yeah, anyway, else, as long as that can happen or continue, that's that's the main thing I really see. Yeah, so what do you think the share market will do over the next 12 months? Are you after for me to provide a prediction? So. No, no, look, just <laughs> just the crystal ball. You know, you've got yeah, it there, shined it up. Well, we won't hold What's it, it to It's just in a recording on our website. Yeah, yeah. So, look, we'll cut this bit out probably. Nice. <laughs> Um, oh, look, it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, pencil in in terms of what your rates of return would be, but in terms of a priority, so working with our research team for investments, um, if I spell it out to you this way, is that from a risk and reward perspective, um, we look at emerging markets, Australian shares and property as the, and in those orders, are the better sectors to be investing in. Um, and, yeah, I suppose for the reasons that, you know, dividend yields, yes, are high, you will have the opportunity for growth. Um, I suppose always the catalyst for all the uncertainty with shares is, you know, black swan events that people talk about in coronavirus comes, reappears again or something completely different that sends the world into shock again. Um um, and I suppose you once again compare those likely rates of return to cash and fixed interest, which are very, very minimal, and then the expectation that there's the possibility of inflation. So then that's when you see interest rates rise. So if you're invested in fixed-rated uh, you know, bonds then and inflation's happening, you could see a deterioration in capital so you don't really want too much money or to be invested in there. You'd want to be exposed to variable interest rates, um, but once again, still low. So it's more about that capital preservation. Um, so that's the way that we're seeing the world or viewing the world in that yeah, your um, hypothetical um, opportunities for return are really going to be from the equities. If the inflate, inflation type scenario happens, um, then businesses are better positioned to deal with that because they can subsequently increase their price of goods to what they're selling to the market to counteract inflation. Um, so, yeah, so broadly speaking, equity is better than cash and fixed interest, probably a no-brainer, but, yeah, anyway. Yeah, so money's got to be invested somewhere, hasn't it? Like there's still a lot of money going in via superannuation and other means. So realistically there's not going to be a hell of a lot going into cash I wouldn't have thought look there'll be a certain amount so there's really then property and the share market they the two yeah that's very it. broad investment yeah that's options, it yep, aren't yep. They? yep and I suppose this is a like the two things that I probably often talk about with my team and clients is that there's always two things to consider when investing someone's willingness to invest and someone's ability to invest and what I mean by that is some people are more willing to invest in shares and property, et cetera, and understand that things can be a roller coaster and up and down and there's the volatility associated with it and they're comfortable with that, whereas other people from an emotional point of view aren't very comfortable with that. In saying that, some people will still have the ability to invest and what I mean by that is that for retirees with ample capital um, that can afford to uh, 
um, ride the ups and downs and the volatility in the share markets and wouldn't be forced to sell any assets or investments when share markets fall, then they have the ability to invest because they can absorb and ride those ups and downs and they still drive um, the income necessary to live off, but they may not have the willing, willingness to invest in terms of to enjoy those or that roller coaster. Um, so yeah, so anyway, so when working through with clients, that's probably what we're always talking about. So some some clients uh, sit differently on those spectrums. That's the thing. That's the thing, Tills. If we wind back to March, what was the day in March? It was a it was the the day that the. Uh, 31st of March or something where the share market uh, dropped most. I don't have the exact date, Around but there. yeah. But if you looked at that and said, oh, well, look, if you sold the next day, of course you're going to be in a worse position if you sold today because yeah, yeah. the yep. market has recovered somewhat. So I suppose that's those ups and downs we talk about even with the big black swan events. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yep, yep. Yeah, so once again had a conversation with the client in similar position to that in that, um, yeah, like his question was to say, well, you know, what's my portfolio done, you know, is it up and down? And he was quite sort of worried about that. Um, but when I was able to comment to him and say, well, throughout this whole thing, we haven't had to sell any investments. It's not like you've sold out at a loss or realised any losses and realistically where the markets are at at this point in time, like international stocks are higher than where they were in Feb. So if someone panicked and sold out at the bottom, then you've just crystallised your loss. Um and then with Aussie equities, I suppose a little bit lower than what they were back at March. Um, and then cash and fixed interest allocations haven't gone anywhere, like in terms of capital difference, there is negligible. Um, so overall, like if you look at equity returns to date for the last 12 months, it's really only the Aussie equities that are down. And then if you look at that, your banks are the ones that are actually in the worst position. As opposed to all the other stocks. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then investor psyche is that, geez, banks are good investment, can't lose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. But um, with coronavirus or COVID, they were one of the ones to experience a bigger sell-off because um, I suppose if I look at it from a, as a domestic point of view is if your borders are closed, Australia re- relies on immigration so population growth for economic growth to happen to continue to expand. If that wasn't happening, who's going to be borrowing money? Who's going to have the confidence? So where are banks going to generate their revenue from? Um, so yes, yeah, so anyway. But once again, with the vaccines coming through, well, then that's when the world sort of looked at it and said, "Well, breaks are off a little bit." So then you've seen a big increase or jump in a lot of the banks. Um, so, yeah, so anyway, so. Yeah, so I guess once we get through Christmas and the new year, the next thing will be when JobKeeper ends. So yeah. So the end of March or, you know, whether the government have another plan after that, depending on how things are travelling, but that's probably the next big ticket item that's going to have an impact on the economy and flow through to everything else because that will determine how many people actually lose their job, won't it, really? Yeah, 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 definitely, yep. So, and I remember, Gav, when we did the uh, – video presentation with Jonathan um, and the guys from our research team. I think that must have been in about June or July. July, I reckon, yeah. The the, um, statistics clearly pointed to that it was really the clubs, um, so um, gaming clubs, cafes and pubs that were the sectors that had really suffered. 
So hopefully with uh, Christmas around the corner, people travelling more domestically, hopefully we can get out there and support them. Um, hopefully they're back in good positions. Hopefully those JobKeeper job um, and GST payments, cash flow boosters have helped them to get them into a good position so that going forward from there and hopefully we have limited to no new cases of coronavirus so that we don't have to go into lockdown again, then hopefully they should be fine yeah. to continue on. Is there anything getting sort of built into the economy now in terms of you know, trouble in the future, I suppose, with the amount of debt in the system? Like is there anything that they're sort of saying that obviously there's a big, I suppose, well, businesses, individuals are encouraged or being encouraged to take on debt. The interest rates are as low as they've ever been. Yeah, are you sort of seeing any concerns there with that broader or longer-term outlook? Or are they sort of suggesting that, you know, how debt's taken on, the ability to repay even if interest rates do rise, that's all factored in already? Um, yeah, so there is – so that's that inflation argument is to say, well – You've had a heap of capital provided around the world, so there's probably 20% more cash flow around the world than what there was prior. And then you've had some manufacturing shocks where people can't get their hands on goods. So then the inflation... So that's probably been expected to be the main driver of interest rates increasing going forward. So if the so inflation rate starts increasing, they'll have to start adjusting that's that interest rate That's when they'll have to policy. start to. But Outside of that, really, the central banks and the Reserve Bank have confirmed to say that for the next three years we're going to keep interest rates low. Yep. So outside of inflation, then you wouldn't see that that would be the need. Um, and I suppose the theory really is that, which is similar to what happened in global financial crisis, was that, and once again, they borrowed money back then. This time around, it's been about three times more than what global financial crisis was, was that we'll... In some respect, inflation is good because it mean, pushes your asset values and the price of those from $1 million to $2 million. So like if you've still held your debt level the same as a percentage level, it's well and truly dropped. Yep. yep. So um, – but yeah, anyway, the economy will have to deal with interest rates rising. So yeah. loan repayments, all that type of thing. So um, – And that's I suppose that just gets back to a planning and that's, you know, when we were speaking to Neil on the last podcast and looking at fixed rates and keeping an eye on that. And as he said, sometimes it's the equipment, finance, interest rates that really drive that because that is a fixed loan at the end of the day, like you're locking something in for five years normally, three to five years. Yep. So just keeping an eye on equipment finance or car finance, whatever it is, um, that's what, you know, he said that they use as a bit of a rough guide. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's too, like we were going through a scenario with a client this morning that's looking to take on a bit more debt and one of the main four banks, they're assessing it at an interest rate of 7%. Yeah, like actually, four? actually doing the assessment. So yeah. even though the rate... For equipment or No, this is property. for property loan. Yeah, so okay, yep. e even though the going rate will be about 2%, yep. they're doing the client's assessment at 7%. Yep. So they're factoring in that they're going to rise then. Yeah. Yep. yep. So yep. which... Is probably a good thing, but it sort of makes it uh, cash flow-wise almost that they, they can't really take on the debt at the moment. But, yeah, I guess that then – It's being built in, yeah. yeah. exactly. And the banks will obviously want to have that information because the last thing that they want is obviously a bad debt yeah, exactly. on their books. Yeah. So in some respects it's probably good. But, yeah, there's more and more commentary coming about that um, inflation – could be a real thing and that interest rates will be increasing and you're already seeing it from 
bond markets within the US that interest rates are increasing. Yeah. So you can see that. And what they do comment is to say that bond markets actually drive equity markets. Yeah. Because, yeah, lower interest rates are good for businesses and in terms of mathematics in calculating ideal share prices and all that sort of stuff, the lower the interest rates, then the higher the, the share price can be. Yeah, because I reckon just looking at our own client base and the businesses and farmers, I've certainly, you know, in some respects got through the last 12 months, you know, and this is a generalisation probably, but, you know, there's been a few ones that have done it pretty tough, but most are really taking advantage of these low interest rates particularly, so mm-hmm. which is great and it's enabled them to, you know, put in place a lot of things that they've been planning to do. But in the back of your mind, you sort of, Got to be, you know, cautious. Yeah, proactive with this because I think, yeah, at some stage there could be a bit of carnage. But I, yeah, I just can't see the government allowing that to happen either. So it's 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 really going to be a real balancing act, isn't it, over the next few years? It always is. Yeah, it always is. There's no doubt about that because, and I suppose for Australia, the from a government debt level perspective, we're not too bad. Um, yeah, once again, I know that people will talk about it, but if you do the comparisons the rest around the world, then well, not too bad. It's actually our consumer debt level that is the highest, which is like personal debt levels, um, home loans, all that type of thing. So, um, yeah, I suppose on one hand, lower, int- lower interest rates help people, you know, buy the investment property, upgrade their home, and we've all probably seen asset prices or property prices increase over the last, you know, five, ten years um, because repayments are obviously lower as a result. So, but yeah, we'll be obviously a balancing act, but it sounds like as you're commenting that banks are already sort of factoring in that to a certain degree that the consumer when applying for the loan has the ability to be able to absorb the interest rate increases. Yeah, that's right. Affordability. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Great, boys. Good amount of information there for our listeners. Um, is there any other special comments that you guys wanted to make about the market at the minute? I think that was a pretty good summary. I'd like to provide a prediction, but uh, no, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Only because it's staying on the record. Yeah, that's, that's why right. Tills doesn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to do it either. Yeah, look, I think there'll be just different sectors. Who knows what's going to happen. Or industries yeah. that, I don't know, that do better for various reasons. Like, I'm not sure what's really happened in that commercial property space yet. Like, you know, I don't think everyone's going to go back to the office to work, but who knows? Like, I think the next 12 months is just going to provide a lot of direction about the next five to ten years yeah well i know from a personal investment point of view once again with our client portfolios etc if you look at dividend yields and forecast dividend yields for you know one two three years going forward for the retail investment trusts um so which is your um residential investment trust retail property trusts so the likes of stockland etc um office property trusts um their dividends yields are the highest. Um, so hopefully you've seen a bit of a flaw in terms of um, property prices there, but their dividend yields are the, the highest there. So, um, yeah. So I wonder whether the next couple of years we might start seeing some of these commercial properties maybe repurposed, maybe, you know, depending on zonings and suburbs and whatever, but, you know. Um, I've seen a, quite a bit of, um, you know, these new home builders promoting work from home, study areas in, in new home designs, you know, a lot more than they probably had in the past. So I think what happens is there's this gradual shift for everyone really into what the new world will be. 
Um, I don't know. What do you think about the working from home thing? I'm not sure it's going to be. I'm not sure everyone loves oh, working I can from home. <laughs> tell you, like I suppose firsthand, and then as well, but talking from my team, like um, whilst it was, it's good to have the capacity to work from home. Probably not good to work at home all the time. Yep. And you still need to get to the office to collaborate, um, particularly our organisation as well where we're servicing clients from multiple facets. So lending, legal, financial planning, accounting, marketing, agri, et cetera. Then we do need to be able to have meetings and um, Chris, you're obviously no fan stand. We're often having joint meetings and joint client appointments. Yeah, that's right. And I think... Look, I think you've just got to have balance. I think working at home all the time's not great. Working in the office all the time's not good either. So I think that balance, and I think that's what we've probably worked out that whether it's two days in the office, three at home, or vice versa, I think that's probably where we are with most of our employees. I think. And look, even a circuit breaker. I was talking to the legal guys here. Sometimes they're looking at you know large you know legal business documents um, that they actually like to get away just for that one day even, just to work their way through a couple of large documents that really need their attention. They're not getting disturbed in the office. But, yeah, they actually enjoy coming in for the rest of the time. So, And it all comes down to whether you've got a nice spot to work at home or not. But I did it I did it for one of the lockdowns, went home and didn't love it. No, just yeah. sort of, you know, it's just I feel like work's work and home's home. So, yeah. yeah, but it'll be interesting just from the market's point of view, like whether some of these office commercial buildings might get repurposed or certainly we're seeing it with apartment design and, uh, and house design, work from home areas for that yeah. sort of thing. We've, we've got a development um, client in Melbourne and they've just finished a commercial office space on the fringe of this uh, CBD and, of course, very concerned about what was going on over, over the last six or so months but it's been interesting they let out probably th- three or four of the seven floors during the lockdown and I guess the most demand was probably coming from CBD businesses that were looking to get out of the CBD and get smaller floor plans because they were going to be working from home and the office so okay yeah, which was quite interesting. And maybe customised floor plans a bit for that. Like I know even the IT guys here have worked pretty hard to get everyone mo- a bit more mobile with laptops and whatever so that that opportunity to come and go is available. So might mean that a lot of businesses don't need the amount of desk space as they did in offices and, um, you know, you can sort of get get your people back and forth and have less less floor space. Yeah, so I think it, it's just really finding that mix that sort of works and everyone's a little bit different, I suppose, too. So yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's just finding what works and just getting a bit of balance for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, obviously still to be played through, isn't it? So Yeah, um, it's probably forced us to do it, whereas we'd, we'd been talking about it for a couple of years, hadn't we, really, how we, oh, how, yeah. Yeah, how we deal with this flexible working environment and we are forced to do it. And I, and I think clients especially, I've found – I was on a Zoom call to someone in an hour away from my office today and in the past I just would have driven there this morning for that mm. meeting, driven there for an hour, had the meeting for an hour, driven back for an hour, that's three hours. In the end we just did a Zoom call because yeah. he was happy. I had exactly the same this morning. So there you A farmer of yeah, going two an hours hour, an hour and a half away and I must admit I was expecting them to turn up to the office and then the meeting uh, calendar invite flashed up as Zoom. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, like. It's obviously saving everyone time and money and and same thing. It might not completely um, change. It might not completely change from all in person to all on the computer meetings. 
but a percentage of, and it just helps you with your with your day. Like I've gained two hours today in my day. You have two till so. Yeah. Yeah. So go and knock off, Gav. Yeah. Get early. Get yeah. a, get a beer in. I'm I'm uh, just not sure if we're going to get everyone out of their casual work attire. Not that I think it's a major issue, but it could be a bit of a challenge, couldn't it? Once again, personal perspective. Yeah. yeah. There's less like ties around some the people, office. That's for sure. I think some people are looking for it to happen. Um, so to make that distinction, Gav, I suppose, between work and play. But uh, other than that, others are quite comfortable too. So. Definitely a changing workplace. That's at least one thing that's come out of 2020. Well, that's a, that's a wrap, boys. That's um, our last uh, episode for 2020. So thanks, Thane and Chris. Um, just a reminder to all the uh, listeners that um, we also put the podcast up on our LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram accounts for Mulcahy Co. So just look those up. And also as a reminder, we always uh, transcribe uh, into an article on the news page at mulcahy.com.au. So thanks again to Chris Mulcahy for coming in today and Thane Turley from Financial Planning for an update on the markets. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. You've been listening to the FS360 podcast brought to you by Mulcahy Co. Financial Security 360 is at the centre of what we do at Mulcahy Co. If you'd like to speak to one of our professionals about a range of individual and business needs, give us a call.